Why don't, why don't you feed him? Can you do that? Of course I can. Well, look at this. How old is he? Like a day old? Two days old? Oh, he's a smart one, isn't he? What are you going to name him? episode 201 of do you expect us to talk i'm your host becca and as always joined by my fellow co-hosts chris and dave and also we welcome our special guest for this series charlie brigden how are you all good evening folks hello everyone hi (laughs) charlie's way more upbeat than we are (laughs) (laughs) he's waving it's not tim burton this week well i have to say I'm so much more positive about doing this than I was Yes, we're on the upward trajectory at last. We are. Um, So, let's get into that in a moment. What are we covering tonight, Becca? Tonight, we are reviewing Rise of the Planet of the Apes, aka Rock to Pitter, starring James Franco, Andy Serkis, David Yellowit, who's, I've put a comma in between his names, I don't know why, uh, John Lithgow, Brian Cox, Tom Felton, in his first breakout role since Harry's Not Dirt, with a score by Patrick Doyle, Script by Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver, directed by Rupert Wyatt, and released in 2011. When you said you stuck a comma in his name, do you mean like Richard, uh, D- uh, David O. Willowoo, like he's Irish? David, comma, oh yeah, Willowoo. <laughs> oh, right, okay. But it means Luther. So I, I thought was you reading, meant, well, I actually like, thought you meant, his name. I thought you meant an apostrophe comma. after the O. I thought you meant like he was Irish. Oh, yeah, right. no. Um, yeah, starring David O. Willowoo. There we are. <laughs> it really, really, I, actually, I don't know how to pronounce his name anyway, because I've never heard it said. Um, so he's an internationally famous actor, you know. He's also got a new film out this uh, this mm. festive season. Uh, for those who don't know, because uh, you'll have seen him as playing Martin Luther King in things like Selma, and he's he's been in lots of other things. That's an but, amazing film. If you can check that film out, I highly recommend uh, it. It is on Netflix at the moment, I believe. But the other the point to make with it is he start he started off on British TV in Spooks. Mm. Uh, that's where another classic too. series. Well, what age is he? Where is he? Let's have a look. So, He's forty-four. Yeah, too, too old to start. Although he, he has, although he hasn't aged. Forty-four. I just thought, Christ, that's knocking on a bit. Then I realised that's my age. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> hey, oh my gosh, I didn't know. Uh, uh, What's yeah, your secret? We were- we were just talking before we hit record that Becca can't believe any landmark date or like <laughs> anniversary or anything. So whatever it is, whether it's episode five or <laughs> it's my birthday, ah, she's like stunned every time. I'm permanently surprised. No, I, I just think it's amazing. Um, you know, little old us. We've got other other sort of bigger podcasts that um, that we're all you know take take influence from, um, and that we love listening to. And we just say like, little old us still going for five years, and it's like. 
what? But no, um, you know, I, I can obviously believe it. It's more for comedy value these days. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just think it's amazing. So looking into the film we we're covering tonight, I did my sort of typical look around. Um, I immediately, for some ridiculous reason, got Rupert Wyatt mixed up with Tom Hooper. I think it's Tom Hooper, the guy who made The King's Speech and Les Miserables and stuff. I actually think he's quite a poor director in a lot of ways, but maybe we can cover that if we ever cover a film from his canon. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, how, how can you say that when he's made a, a spectacle like Cats? You know, oh, I forgot. He, I forgot he made that. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> but this was amazing. So how can you so rubbish? I still haven't seen Cat, so I. I, have, I saw the trailer. That was enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, but I, I watched uh, Les Miserables, and he had all these beautiful sets built and incredible locations and wonderful costumes, and then sort of shoved the camera four inches from the actors' faces at all times. I, I just think he's quite a poor director when you look back at the stuff. Oh, he's done. Really like seeing, but, um, um, you know, up somebody's nose. No. Didn't do. He might have done the Damned United, which was a bit more of a TV film. The thing about um, Brian Clough, and I enjoyed that. But oh, I, that was a good film, though. I think I think he fundamentally is normally the worst thing about the film. He's making. But I was looking at I was looking on top of that, and immediately did what I've been doing ever since the series started. Really, is go straight to the sort of cinematographer and the composer. Uh, the cinematographer was Andrew Lesney. Now, Andrew Lesney is best known for the Tolkien films, uh-huh. which are all beautiful. So he's very heavily in the extended edition, the appendices for those films. Um, also known, so he he also worked with um, him on King Kong as well. Um, and so that's what he's best known for. I did not realise he'd passed away. Yeah, it wasn't. It was quite recently, wasn't it? Yeah, it uh, okay. He died at the age of fifty-nine. Yeah, 2015. Yeah. Um, so that's worth mentioning. But obviously the visuals of this film are, are, are supervised by a guy who did all, all six of the Peter uh, Jackson Tolkien films. And uh, I think it's fair to say they're all incredibly good-looking films. Um, as for the score, I looked up this guy and immediately thought, I don't know how much of his stuff I know. Uh, Patrick Doyle, Charlie can uh, into wrapped on, on this seems to have worked with kenneth branagh a lot yeah yeah he's pretty he's pretty much kenneth branagh's um to go to um he's with brian de palmer as well he did the score for carlito's way um yes. which is okay. which is amazing yeah um so and he and because of kenneth branagh he did like he did the music for thor yes and uh he's yeah i've come across him before yeah so he's done some kind of disney films as well and uh, he did one of the harry potter's uh, the Quaron one. Uh, yeah, the Goblet of Fire. He's worked with him a couple of times by the yeah. look of it. He did the uh, Great Expectations film with him. And he's worked with Ang Lee, Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I didn't, the name didn't stick out to me. That's, that's more a reflection of my ignorance than, than his record, because you can see so many films there you know. Oh, sure, but yeah. It didn't stick out to me, but he started as an actor. He was in Chariots of Fire. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so um, yeah. Oh, so yeah, that that those were sort of the the things about I wanted to sort of add about the people behind the scenes. But it feels, and the, I guess the only other thing I wanted to say in the build up to, uh, you know, the sort of background to the film is this is cheaper than the Tim Burton film, despite the fact that it's got um, 
despite the fact it's all sort of mo-capped CG. And there are, there are by definition, CGI effects in almost every shot. Um, this is 93 million against 10 years earlier, 100 million. So you can see they're sort of hedging their bets a little bit. They've got to spend some money because they've got to make it look okay. But this is this is uh, this is conservative for a blockbuster, and it took nearly half a billion in response. Yeah, because it seemed kind of I, I felt that watching it, like it it kind of wasn't going for like huge massive set pieces, or it kind of like reserved reserved it, you know. But I think it's for the film's benefit, really, because it, it, you know it, it kind of feels like it it it's more about relying on storytelling rather than and and character arcs rather than like. Look at these big set pieces. You know, we've got to have this big money shot. You know, kind of thing. It's, uh, I think, it makes the film better for it actually. Yeah, go, going quickly back to, to the people behind it, um, the editor as well. Um, it had two two editors, Conrad Buff and Mark Goldblatt. Mark Goldblatt is basically he did Terminator and, and T two, and he's done a load of stuff. Well, he's he's just. He edited Commando, The Terminator, Rabbit Rambo, oh, yeah. or the, the second Rambo. Oh, I didn't know um, that. He did some stuff on Robocop. Um, yeah, he did T2, The Last Boy Scout, um, did some stuff on Tombstone, did True Lies, Starship Troopers, Showgirls. Um, nope. <laughs> so, so he went on to go into for Michael Bay as well. And Conrad Buff is kind of a, an assistant director who he worked on um, Titanic. I think he, I think he worked back a while ago as an assistant on um, Return of the Jedi, um, but he ended up. Uh, he, I think he got an Oscar for Titanic, and as as being kind of like a a, a co or an assistant editor on a fair amount of stuff like um, Ghostbusters and The Abyss. And uh, again, the last Boy Scout and things like that. His record is actually his is there's some incredible films in his record. Looking at it, yeah, um, from some of the Star Wars films to ET, well, basically to Poltergeist. Um, when we're looking at Ghostbusters, The Abyss, yeah, he's obviously yeah. popular with James Cameron. Yeah, I think he started uh, off in like the visual effects department. And oh then... yeah, I've I've not got whether he edited those or not. Yeah, but um, Titanic, yeah, mind you, everyone on Titanic won an Oscar. Well, yeah, true. that film was just Oscar winning uh, across the board. Best cheese bodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, little little scene film, um, which I saw at the cinema at the time just for an evening out, was Arlington Road. He, mm. he, wow. that, that. That's a Jeff Bridges sort of Tim Robbins film. And it's really good. It's just, just mention it. It's about a guy who sort of lectures on sort of terrorism and things like that and comes to believe he's living next door to a terrorist. Yeah, living next door to a bomber. Yeah, that was a good film. Yeah, it's a good film. Um, okay, I was. Super is quite good in whatever he does, really, doesn't he? he? Gives good performances. Yeah, yeah, um, and he has to play quite an ambiguous performance there. Mm, yeah, either or, could go both ways. Supposed to really know what he what he is or isn't. No, but um, he's really good. In terms of this film, I don't remember any of the build up to it. I I went to see it, and I went to see it early, so I must have been keen. But I don't remember much of the build-up. I can't remember whether I was anticipating this, excited for it, whether whether it was much hyped. I, I really don't know. Do you remember anything about this film before it came out? Um, I I think I don't know. Was it 2011? 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I can't. I think it's one of those uh, so summer movies where which kind of comes out at the tail end. You know, it's an August release, um, wasn't it? So it was kind yes, of was. you, you kind of half expecting it to be like mediocre or just be like either disappointing or you know no, no, nothing that's like that impressive. So it it was kind of one of the, one of those things that it, yes, it came a bit out of nowhere. Uh, but when it was out, it was like, oh, actually, this is really fucking good, actually. <laughs> so I think I think it kind of like, I think that's probably what you're thinking. It there was probably wasn't much of a anticipation for it because if there was any, it was a bit like, yeah, okay, this this might be good. Probably probably be disappointing, really. The back of your head, and then it came out and it turned out to be actually rather good. We we did the midnight screening for it. Um, because for us. I mean, especially for myself, because I was a big fan of the original films. And off the back of Lord of the Rings um, and King Kong and things like that with Andy Serkis, it was it was kind of, it, it seemed to have that, because of his motion capture, the, the interest from that. And then the, the trailers were great. And especially the, the trailers with um, the uh, the bridge battle. Right. And all the stuff from that, and um, and they had the t- the tagline was really good, which was "Evolution becomes revolution or revolution." Yeah, so I don't remember any of that. And uh, and so yeah, so so we you know we went and uh, and saw it at midnight. So we were quite excited for it. So that suggests some level of hype. You don't just stick midnight screenings on for everything, do you? Well, no, exactly. I mean, it was. I guess. I guess it was as well. People were thinking it was gonna exercise the memory of the Tim Burton film. I think that's all I wanted by that point. I, I'm trying to think if I watched, because I definitely watched the original five, but I can't remember if I watched them in the lead up to this film or liked this film, then watched them. Can't really remember. But it would put it to like nine or so years ago. I watched them all. Um, I, I re-watched them. I think I watched them in the build-up to war. The reason I say that is the box set I thought I had, I, I looked up the other day, and it didn't include war, which means it, it wasn't a set I bought after war. It must have been in the build-up to it. It must have been after dawn. And when I watched them all, if I were to be hypercritical, and you'd have to be being hypercritical, because the, the, character they've, they've, the characters they've realised here are incredible. But there is no doubt that I don't know if it's due to budget technology or both. I suspect both. Um, but the, the the CG takes a big step forward in the next two. Um, and by the third film, the, the level of nuance in Caesar's performance is extraordinary. There are scenes in this film, particularly when he's a baby, where he doesn't quite look like he's there. But that's being hypercritical. I mean, that that's nine or ten year old CG on a small budget for a CG heavy film. Yeah. I, th- I think as well as it, it seemed like they decided to go with a bit of a stylized hybrid look for his character. They didn't go like they did with some of the other apes. They didn't go for something that, w- that was like completely realistic in terms of like a photo real chimpanzee. He's supposed to, so you're suggesting he's supposed to look a little bit other. Yeah, so when, absolutely. When people, like, yeah. when people like Brian Cox look at him, he's like, "There's something unsettling about this." Yeah, story. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, fair maybe, maybe because he's had the the, uh, the the drug from birth. 
Yeah, I mean, I know the eyes are meant to look a bit different. And, oh, yeah, and no, yeah, There's yeah. no doubt that eyes are normally sort of a giveaway. I mean, mm. Gollum was an incredible achievement for the time. But if you watch, like, Gollum now, he doesn't really look like he's in the shot quite a lot. I mean, there's a bit at the start of Two Towers where he sort of jumps down on them and he's wrestling on the floor with Sam and so on. And if you watch it now, he doesn't look like he was in the shot. It, it was it was terrific for his, for its time. But, you know, the eyes look a bit glassy and things like that. Still an incredible achievement. But the 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 level of realism they can get into sort of the eyes. And, and we'll, I'll comment on that when we get to war. Yeah. There's one particular scene in that film where Caesar has to emote a mixture of sort of averted grief and relief. And it's it, I've never seen digital work like it. Mm. Because these are... These are animals we've got a frame of reference for. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's different with the Navi because they don't exist. Yeah, if you, if you look at Cobra as well, I mean, it's it's maybe difficult with him because he's so scarred, but even even he has kind of like a different kind of. I think Cobra's an incredible achievement as a yeah. character. Full stop. And I think that that comes out more in the. Oh yeah, in the, in the next one. And, and I think there's a degree of. Um, Matt Reeves really was able to see what about the first film worked. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely forgot that he that there was such a big role for Cobra in this film because I, yeah. I it was it's been such a long time since I watched it, and I and I can just remember him from the uh, from the second film. I mean, he is mo-capped by somebody else in this film. It becomes sort of to- Toby Kebbell in the next. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Wasn't Toby Kem- Kebbell in Fan Four Stick? Fantastic Four, the um, yes. Josh Frank one. Yes, yeah. he was uh, Doctor Doom. Yeah, never mind. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> that went well. Um, okay, so what did we think of it? It's great. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah, it's just really intelligently kind of put together. Um, and uh, it's the, the way they use him, Caesar, as, as the central character and as, as the protagonist, um, it's just and the way the way they build it all around him is, is astonishing. And just just kind of it's just really, really inventive and really it's it surprises you. Um, and but it but it doesn't kind of it doesn't um, sacrifice spectacle for emotion. Uh, I mean, there's because there's a few shots where they're kind of showing off a bit too much. Where like you kind of, it's like I was watching uh, Bumblebee, and oh, yeah. uh, and it, that was a good film as well. But it was over edited because instead of doing kind of close ups and stuff for some tension, they hit the they just had lots of scenes where you had the uh, the lead actress that was Haley Steinfeld and robots in the same scene and then you kind of have the camera going through the legs and stuff and going all around and all that kind of thing and there's like there's there's a couple of kind of shots here like i think there was one where it came out of, either went into caesar's eyes or came out of caesar's eyes and then went off and then went back into his eyes and it just kind of takes me out of the out of the film but there was very but it was there was not a lot of it and um, especially with um john lithgow 
the uh, that kind of bit of the storyline as well really helped. And because I mean, to be honest, for me, the only real weak link is um, James Franco. I don't really kind of buy him in this role, and he just seems kind of just like he doesn't really have. I don't know the, the, the kind of depth that another actor might have given it. I said that they originally were Toby Maguire. Okay, that would have irritated me for different reasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'd have bought. I think I'd have bought it more. You know, what's Zoe Deschanel doing in the film? Looks at the screen. Oh, it's Toby Maguire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll go next if you like. I had a. I, it's funny. I watched them all together in the build-up to war. So obviously I must have watched these two and then gone that evening to see war or whatever. And my sense of it at the time was that Rise was probably the film I enjoyed most on on first viewing. But when I watched them close together, Rise didn't play quite as strong. So I came into this with a little bit of sort of, not trepidation, because I knew I liked it. Um, and I had a brilliant time with this today. I think it's just it, it's perfectly paced. In fact, it only starts losing me a little bit in the final act, but there are still enough beats in that that it, it sort of keeps my interest because big action set pieces have to be really good to hold me generally. Mm. Um, but there are there is a lot of emotion in the apes that they've they're animated in and, and it, it, it does work. I would agree with Charlie, but I, I seem to have a little bit of a blind spot on um james franco anyway i don't know if it's res uh, revelations about his private life um i hope not because i try to separate those things and a lot of it is always sort of conjecture and supposition anyway but maybe i didn't like him much in the spider-man films although he was somewhat well cast for it because he plays all right as a sort of spoiled little rich kid but the, the, the it's it's seeded in me a feeling of him as somewhat petulant and even though he'd have been, I don't know, about 32 filming this, I imagine, I just don't carry that gravitas of a sort of seasoned senior um, research figure. I just, I can't see him in this role. If you're going to do, if you're going to cast someone a bit who, who doesn't necessarily look like the gra- they've got the gravitas, it either has to be a more cartoony film or they've got a play as some sort of bizarre genius. See Robert Downey Jr. in the Iron Man films. I mean, it's just that there's the casting of a bit of a maverick is the only way around it. And I don't think he's that. I I never thought he's a leading man. And of course, the whole sort of film crosses about an eight year period, which means in the early scenes of the film, he's, he's meant to be ludicrously young, really doing this stuff. Um, so, yes, I would agree he's the weak link. I think everyone else in the film I really like. I love the John Lithgow stuff. That could have been clumsy. I think if I was hearing a pitch for this film and someone and the pitch for the film was around this guy who was researching Alzheimer's and he's found a cure and his dad just happens to have it, I'd think there's something a bit lazy in the writing to that. But actually, it really works. It gives it, It's well written, this film. It gives it real sort of pathos. 
and he's brilliant in it and he has a, a lovely little relationship with caesar as well mm. so i like all of that i like the fact that caesar has the sort of tragic flaw of temper which is a theme that will spread across the three films in that Caesar actually becomes a little bit more tempered over time. He's very much the sort of rebellious adolescent at this point. So all of that I really like. It's a good-looking film. The score's a bit forgettable for me, but that might be because I've just still got Giacchino's from the third film in my head. Um, but I really liked it. I, you can see it's the start of something, I think, from... It's probably helped this film that I haven't watched two and three in prep yet. So I'm not comparing it to what's coming later. I'm just watching this as a fresh restart for the series. And James Franco aside, who's not terrible in it by any means, um, this is superb stuff. Oh, gosh, I can't compete. Um... <laughs> of course you can. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no, like you, so I, I couldn't really... Um remember sort of like you know the, the hype and the build-up to this film I don't know if it's some kind of like you know if it was off the back of like a anniversary of the like, original release which which wasn't the case um I think I probably haven't seen this one since since it came out in in 2011 um but I did have like a vivid memory of you know it kind of um of like the, you know sort of the green eyes and then obviously the post-credits mid-credits sting at the end with the virus kind of spreading all around the world which now takes on a whole different meaning um <laughs> Totally unrealistic. Totally unrealistic. No, it's never going to get a happen. pandemic these days, are you? No, it doesn't happen like that. No. Um, yeah, no, I was, I was amazed by it all. And the, the visuals, I mean, you know, it's only sort of a few years old, but the visuals still hold up. There's probably, for me, there was probably um, maybe one scene towards the end um, when they storm the Genesis building. Um, that perhaps looks a little bit on the dodgy side. Um, but generally, the effects still hold up. Um, and for you know, something that makeup was still kind of very much you know, going going through the motions and um you know after having been used to such fantastic effects like lord of the rings and king kong for example um uh, you know and pretty much has has the has the market cornered um and it's still you know it's good to know that he sort of played other other of the eight, eight sort of roles as well the various other um species too which i think is really interesting um i don't know if it, i don't know if they've ever got around to giving him a you know a motion capture oscar you know a category all of his own um, but yeah, I've not I've certainly not seen seen this film since it's you know cinematic release, um, and it was just it's incredible to you know to see it again and see that the majority of readers hold up. Um, I would agree um, that he just kind of appeared to be like the the weak link in it. Um, it. It seems to be like in a different film to everybody else. Um, still gives it you know a decent performance, but I kind of feel like it's phones in a little bit. Um, but yeah, the stuff with the Alzheimer's is really interesting. Um, obviously, having lost, you know, grandparents, not to you know, to myself as well. So obviously, there's a personal link there too. Um, all the rest of the cast are fantastic. Um, obviously, you've got Tom Felton, who's his first big role out of um, out of the Harry Potter films. Um, so seems a little bit kind of underused, but he's, he's you know, he's going to be pigeonholed in that kind of villain role um, after playing. Draco Malfoy for well, he's doing something of a, of a right. Decade. I fucking hate him in this. Yeah, well, he's, I mean he's, yeah, he's doing something right. You know, he's, he's yeah. really, you know, he's, he's really unlikable, and you just think, oh, he's an idiot. You know, he he clearly doesn't treat any of the animals correctly, and and he, you know, he, he gets to say the the iconic line, um, a couple of the iconic lines from the original film, so he kind of gets that in. Um, but yeah, he's you know he's pretty much kind of one of like the kind of the subvillains of the piece. Um, but then you've got an actor like Brian Cox. Who I, I, you know, the only kind of vibe I get from him really is, is that he obviously he doesn't care about animal welfare, um, but he just he doesn't give a damn. And it's just like why why cast somebody like, you know a great actor like Brian Cox 
and just you know having like a really minimal role um but you know it's great to see him this car this film on the whole has has a fantastic cast um and all probably bar one you know they're firing on all cylinders pretty much um and yeah i would agree with d charlie as well it's kind of it's, it's put in such a way that it kind of doesn't um it doesn't compromise really uh, when it comes to kind of key pop points and key and key um and key beats um and as I say, same with you dave as well i've kind of i'm gonna watch them i was gonna say in isolation but you know i didn't kind of watch like all together back to back but just kind of you know when we come to do the next one i'll watch it and then when we when we come to do the the last one wolf planet of the apes I'll, I'll watch that so that's what i mean when i say in isolation not actually in isolation unfortunately um that takes on a different tone these days um but yeah it's not going to come spoil you know my appreciation of them for you know for what comes later on um so yeah, just I, I was just blown away by it really, and I just it was like this, you know, it's, it feels to me like a proper entry into the series. Like it's it's, it's done right. It's um it's a well a new story from a different angle, um and it seems that everyone's really on really on top form. They brought the A game, um and how many other epithets like that I can chuck to say that I really enjoyed this film basically. I, I did feel as well, and we'll talk about it as we go through the film that that all the little nods to the previous series, like Bright Eyes and the Icarus and stuff like that that's like an easter egg if you care to notice it yeah it exactly. doesn't it doesn't actually matter it, it, no one's it gonna right no one's gonna face, start going what's like that reference mean there, it doesn't go yeah, oh look bright eyes oh, it, look. it's not it's not die another day it's not a bunch of references no. in the middle of the room so yeah <laughs> yeah because i don't even got bright eyes when i actually watched uh well this series i was like oh yeah bright eyes that's reference to rice yeah that's it <laughs> See, you, so you learn a lot by, you know, despite only having The Simpsons as your frame of reference. Yeah. <laughs> you learn a lot by having Dave and Charlie on the show, so. Chris? Yeah, um, I'm kind of along the same lines as everyone else, really. Uh, I, I really enjoyed my viewing today. Um, the thing I, I, I most took away was just how efficient it was in its storytelling and just how, uh, I mean, it's, an, it's a nice lean, uh, now we're 45, and... Doesn't doesn't overstate its welcome, but you don't really feel like it's particularly too short either. It's it's uh, it, it's it's really well crafted. Uh, just just little sort of things like the how it drops its um, ex- exposition and you know little things like oh like uh, oh you, oh you, you don't drive remember that and then it sets up for other things as well. And um, but yeah, the, I I was thinking a bit about uh, the old Franco thing. Uh, whether he, I didn't I I thought he's actually quite good in it considering how. He normally is, he, unless he's not, unless he's doing comedic roles, um, or doing some really sort of wacky and zany. I, I thought he was, uh, he was, he was fine, but then, I, I don't think, I don't, you know, the story really isn't really like the, the lead. Really, it's it's Andy Circus, um, who who is is really like the driving force. I think Franco and um, and Frida Pinto are kind of like the human ciphers that kind of drive the story forward. Or, or at least they you know, half the story forward. That that um, but I think you know, I think the real star show is Andy Circus. Um, and so yeah, that, that that's pretty much it. I thought it was great. Yeah, I I I pick up on one point you made there that most things in this film have a point, and those points aren't just to pick that example. Dad, you don't drive. That is yeah. exposition for what's coming later. But it serves the scene we're in because mm. he's having to watch his father just fade in front of his very yeah. eyes. So it's not just best get that bit of exposition in. It's we need to get that this across in this scene 
if we use this, we can actually reprise it later. Yeah. And I, I just think it's so it, intelligently written. It, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't sort of like knock you sort of like it doesn't telegraph to you. Remember this because <laughs> absolutely because it's com- it's coming out. Yeah. Um, the only other thing to add though is probably he's he's not convinced of the scientist though, James Franco, but he does. He does like someone who would take in a monkey. So, <laughs> there is that. Yeah, there's a kindness to his sort yeah. of bearing in this film. And when he's pissed off later, and like, I'm, I'm, you will go and move things around on your computer and stuff. That, that's all convincing enough to me. Definitely. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with you there, Chris. He is, he's like the human cipher. He's like the human you know, side of it all, I mm. think. But yeah, I just kind of feel like, you know, he's, he's a good actor. You know, we've seen him in the Spider-Man films, but I kind of feel like here he's in a slightly different film. Or he's perhaps maybe not giving us full performance for whatever reasons, I don't know. Um, restrained. Was, yeah, restrained, yeah, that's, that's the word. Thank you, restrained, yes. Anyway, shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Let's do it. Yeah, it's such a short <laughs> runtime as well, this film, as you mentioned. I was like, wow, it zipped through. So hopefully we'll have yeah. no problem rattling through it. I think that might be one of, I think that, yeah, I think the, the sequels do get quite a bit longer. They do, yeah. I, yeah, I do remember that for sure. So. We're straight into, like, the efficiency of the storytelling straight from the first scene. Because I put this on today, and I, I knew I had to watch it for this, but sometimes you're not necessarily in the mood, and that's the danger of leaving it till the last day, the day you actually record. So I put it on going, okay, I've got to watch this. And within, like, five minutes, I'd completely forgotten I wasn't in the mood. It was just like, it had me straight away. Because we're straight into um, them basically rounding up uh, apes in their natural Im- environments quite brutally. Yeah, so basically sort of see you know apes in, in the jungle and uh, they basically just sort of seem captured, really. Yeah, uh, um, um, and, and those that are left sort of... Again, the, the humanity is the wrong word because they're apes, but the sort of almost the, the the sense of empathy and outrage in apes in apes that we that he does show us the ones that aren't captured going out of their mind with fury that one of their theirs has been taken and yeah. i just think that's that's just like a nice touch and then we go straight to and we see like company the, we see like sort of like the the, the tints in their eyes yeah it goes into an eye and out of an eye and we see that it's flecked with green mm-hmm. obviously if it isn't obvious to everybody, the chimp's eyes are brown before this happens. But we come back out, something is different. We're not quite sure why at this stage. Um, but it, we assume it has something to do with intelligence because she's doing... I had to look up the term for it because I've forgotten. It's called the Towers of Hanoi puzzle. Um, I, I've heard of it, it before. It's like three sticks out of the ground with different sized discs. And you have to put them all in order without ever putting a bigger disc on top of a smaller one. Is that right? Yeah, sounds it. it yeah. It's kind of. I believe so. Yeah, you kind of you have to do it on like the, the least number of moves. But yeah, it's the towers of of um of Hanoi. Yeah, perfect score. In, in the film named after Lucas Towers, named after the the creator. Okay, um, and he's basically Will Rodman. He's called James Franco's character's overseeing this. There's uh, an ape called Bright Eyes. They're testing a drug called ALZ. 112 ALZ Alzheimer's, although they don't spell that out for a couple ALZ. of scenes. ALZ, yeah. 
<laughs> well, it should be. Alts. It would be this country. But it, it should be Alzheimer's you know, drug. <laughs> it's America. Yeah, it's Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's drug. So. Yeah, and he wants to go to human trials, so he's saying to David Oyelowo, who's called Steve Stephen Jacobs, I think. He's uh, can we you know, and he's been working on this for about five years, which is another thing that when we move on eight years after this, you think how old James Franco meant to be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's it. Well, he, he, you know, he looks perennially young. So, yeah. um, so like he still looks the same now. <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, we get some exposition, but it's exposition by way of explaining it to the board of directors who need to sign off on the next stage of trials. And he explains that it will grow new brain cells, and we call it a cure for parts uh, for Alzheimer's. And the Sounds only amazing. side, the only side effect is uh, the sort of greed speckling in the eye. Um, and at the same time, I can't believe how efficient this is. At the it's same really time, and all the kind of like exposition for all the expositionary bits that we do have mm. from the film, it's not so much like an info dump, does it? It does kind of move things along at a pace. It's not just like oh, info dump here you are. Um, yeah. or, like, or Basil, you know, exposition. It's done in quite an expedient way. Definitely. And, um, I mean, we got cut straight to Robert Franklin. That's it. Um, he's trying to coach Bright Eyes out of her cage to take them in to meet the board of directors and show that she... Mm. But she's... I could tell she was hiding something, even when I saw the film the first time, but it didn't occur to me what... Because she's suddenly getting aggressive, and when they force her out of the cage, she tries to get back in, and when they can't do that, she just goes mad and goes rumping through the building. Yeah, she goes berserk. Ends so up jumping through the window of the conference room and then the security guards kill her. And I, the funny thing with the, the thing with that is, is when she's in the sort of area where she's caged and handled, they're, all gonna, they're trying to shoot her with tranquilizers. It's only when she gets out into the main building that it's the building's security, hence she gets shot. And their immediate call is to put down all of the rest of the animals and the project is dead. You need to start again. Um, but we find that she was hiding a baby. She was pregnant. Mm. That's the only bit of the film that doesn't quite ring true to me because I just think that these they animals... They'd know get... that before, surely. I, I would think that's... that any, any animal would get like a full health check. Well, before it, it they got, started doing these things. It, it got me wondering, like, well, how, how long have they been there for? Because surely there would be, I mean, I don't know how long. How I don't long... know how much. I don't know how much apes show either. I mean, obviously, when a human woman is pregnant, you can almost always tell. Mm. But I, I don't know if that's the case with apes. I don't know. What did we think of it all so far? Because I'm just basically describing the first act. Of yeah, the film. no. I mean, it's, this is pretty much like the the prelogue, though, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it and it's all done like swiftly. Yeah, um, I think okay, fine. It's quite upsetting in places, yeah. um, especially that opening sequence, which kind of, I guess, you maybe don't expect to see something like that. Um, so to see them being um, captured. And, and so, I mean, presumably that was her mate that she was separated from. Mm. Yeah, it's quite graphic, wasn't it? As well, it was kind of. I, um, I was, yeah. I was quite surprised. I remember seeing it at the cinema and being like, oh, and then obviously seeing it again on, on home release. Yeah, um, yeah, I was yeah. quite surprised by how graphic it was. And then when she kicks off, when when they're trying to take her into the uh, um, for for the for the board meeting, um, again, um, it's quite yeah, it's it's quite distressing really. 
I, I always thought so. Just the moment she shot, and it's just like she's smart, but they still just can't quite communicate with each other. You know, she could not communicate what the issue was. Um, I, I find it really difficult. But and and again, the the performances in the film, the the guy that plays the handler, Robert, he doesn't want to put Caesar down, so he's trying to gives well they haven't called him caesar at this point but when they give the, the baby to and he just says look i've put down 12 of these things now i'm done i can't do this this is a baby you have to look after him mm. and just the whole look on his face is like you do buy that they are for, first and foremost at least those two staff not there for the profits and we're about to meet will's father but he's there for scientific and altruistic reasons yeah and robert's working in the job he's in because presumably he has some love for and empathy for animals yeah and what he's had to do that afternoon he's found devastating took took me ages to kind of i was was watching it i was thinking what what do i know him from and then um i finally get turned around um got around to look him up on imdb um and uh he was actually in a film that i really really like called tucker and dale versus evil yeah that's great that um, where he is, him and Alan Tudyk are both kind of rednecks, and um, right. they come. I've, they come se- I've not seen it, but I remember the cover for it. And I'm yeah, they they, it. Ca- they come across a group of like coeds and and whatever, and um, they it, kind of it's, it's kind of it's, it's kind of like a reversal of like comedic reversal of the horror movie. You know, you got like yeah, the, yeah. The, the college kids go it like getting getting hacked off by like. Uh, you know, deranged, um, like, country Red folk. Nuts. But really, yeah. like, they're, like, sweet and innocent and completely, like, oblivious. And they're just, like, complete... All the deaths are, like, complete misunderstandings. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually quite funny. That sounds really pretty cool, funny, actually. Yeah. He's done a fair bit of TV as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I didn't recognise him, certainly, but I actually think he's really yeah. good at this. And, and again, there's a point to, to when he gets ill. There's a point to it. And that, which obviously only really comes about until the end credits. But that's another really nice touch. It is a nice touch. And just this, but it also, it, it, it implies pressure within that company. The moment he drops the mask, they panic, put it back on. There's no sense of leave the room because presumably they're under deadlines. And this, you know, David's character, Oluwu's character is like forcing them through it a certain pace. Presumably, because by there's, that point, there's also a shit. Years. There's also an element of like embarrassment, isn't there? Like, oh shit, you know, I fucked yeah. up. I don't think I noticed. Okay, you know what I mean? It's like uh, it, the, the, there's that element, isn't there? To like, oh, oh shit, what I've owned up, oh, you know, I'd be deep shit. Okay, yeah. well, yeah, 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 probably. But moving back to this point, so he now takes, he's now got like a baby chimpanzee to take home. Um. And what do we first see? Do, is John Lithgow first spotted playing the piano really badly? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was just again. I, I'm going to repeat myself a lot here, but just so efficient. It's like it, we don't yeah, even. It moves along really quickly, doesn't it? it kind of just it tell, it's, it's a really good example. Well, apart from the little bits of basil that we do get, show don't tell. But two scenes ago, we had this is the cure for Alzheimer's. He walks into his house before we've heard a word. I think you can divide. His father's got it. Mm. 
Um, yeah, you can, you can kind of easily sort of, you know, decipher that. But yeah, it's, it just, it's, it moves along in, in such, well, the next such, thing a, in such a really good way. Well, we've got the keys conversation, but then we've got the sweetness of his reaction to the baby. Yeah. Which tells us that on balance, this baby is going to be a positive in their lives. Yeah, something special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because he's like, oh, this makes my dad happy. Okay. Uh, so they decide to call him. Well, he, fa- fa- what's his father called? I've forgotten his father's name. Uh, what, Charles Rockham. Um, Charles. Charles. Okay, Charles uh, names him because he, he, and they're amazed at his intelligence straight away. He's a day or two old and he's feeding himself. Mm. Yeah, he, um, he quotes Shakespeare, doesn't he, Caesar? So. And then we go straight. What do we go next to? I think he treats him, doesn't he? The thing is shut down, so he just takes some of this compound and gives it to his father. And yeah, so we father... go, we, don't we go in like um, this is time jumps now, doesn't it? Um, yeah, but I think he gets treated before the time jump, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, so it's three years later. Um, yeah. So he's become more intelligent, um, and while he, basically um, James Franco has been more working at home than he is in the thing because he's. Because he, because he, he's sick you know, with with the with the development of Caesar, he's he's now kind of like. Is is his father treated after the first time jump? Because there's two time jumps. Uh, I think it's, I think it's within this one, isn't it? Um, right. So it's three years later. His yeah. father's that much worse, and he spots how intelligent Caesar is, and how quickly he's developing. Okay, and he. So he treats yeah, his like, father. Yeah, his father has that, um, has that disagreement, doesn't he? And he kind of yeah. sees how agitated he becomes. Yeah, because so they, then... t- they take him to the forest, don't they? The, in, yeah. In... Well, that, that introduces the next time jump. Mm. Uh, that introduces the next time jump. So he must treat his father first. I th- I'm assuming. Let me have a look. Yeah. So, of course, they thought ALZ 112 caused violence because of Bright Eye's behaviour. We're now three years on. Um, I'm just looking to see when the time jump is. I do need to look. Yeah, it's, it is the three years later. So, um, and he, a nurse, he's there like uh, ch- the the one bit of clumsy exposition. He's he's on a computer and he's dictating, mm. and he's talking about Caesar's um, progress. Um, and he's got his own room in the attic, likes to look out the window, swings around the house and, you know, has really got it down pat and is happy there. Mm. And while he's there, his father has an altercation with his nurse. They're screaming. And when she Mm. goes up, she said, I can't do this. He belongs in a home. So looking at Caesar, putting two two, two together, realising they can't go on like this, he goes and takes some of the drug and gives it to his dad. And the next day he's playing the piano perfectly. And fixed, basically. Mm. Um, and I think we get introduced to the neighbour now as well. Yeah, the most angriest man in the world. This is just, this is a bit silly, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, he's, he's super bad. angry, isn't he? It's like, Durr! Well, Caesar, Caesar wants to play, so he goes into next door's garden and basically yeah. this guy loses his shit. Um, but he injures him. He does get him cut. So then we have to go. Then we go and meet the love interest, and I'm not sure about this character. He, he's taken to the. He takes Caesar to the zoo to meet the vet there, Caroline Frida Pinto's character, who operates 
Caesar's basically sign language uh, now, and he's telling his father, if you like, that he should date this woman. And many more besides. What's the um, point? And more things besides. Yeah, I, I don't I, I rate Frida Pinto as, a, as an actress as well. Yeah, I, 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 I For some reason, I don't... I mean, they're really lovely together, but I don't kind of... It doesn't quite gel with me, I'm afraid. I kind of feel like it just needs a little bit more. I mean, what do you it's, think it's... the point of this character is? That was the question I was going to ask you all. I, no, Because the love story's not that strongly developed, I is it? personally, the, yeah, I, I don't think it's anything like remotely um, strong or substantive. I think it's mostly out of more... <sighs> See, when I, when I look at these two characters, it's kind of like the like two parts of like of like the of the human opinion it's like you know it, it's you know you're one character who goes you who thinks about doing one thing and you've got the, the other character who kind of you kind of like pushes against it slightly do you know what i mean so it's kind of is it to paraphrase jeff goldblum he's whether you can and she's whether you should oh that's true yeah yeah, yeah it's yeah you kind of got the, the, the moral side of it haven't you the theoretical yeah. moral side of it and also and also i, th- I think she's maybe there so that when caesar has to go that his his life there's not a huge hole in his life yeah so, yeah okay because she someone's... moves in yes yes so uh so where are we now so we go he take yes say so take him to um so he clearly wants to go out and about he was trying to go next door to play. So they take him across the Golden Gate Bridge, which is vital for later, take him to a forest so he can play outdoors. And this gives us the next time jump. We see him sort of swinging around these mm-hmm. trees. And by the time he's at the top, he's wearing like a sweater. And he's, well, now eight years old. Also, just as a side, if anyone gets the chance or any listeners get the chance to go to the Square National Park, highly recommend it. Um Indeed, anywhere around the Bay Area. So again, it's one of those ones, obviously, where location is key. Um, this is a real forest, then. This isn't. Um, this isn't artistic license. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's a real location that you can visit. Okay. Um, it, it smells amazing. Like if you ever have any kind of respiratory problems, or if you get kind of you know really bad hay fever, or whatever, I recommend you can go to this park, breathe in all the air because um, it will open your tubes. Yeah. It's a location as well as you know if we do the, the series we'll, we'll come to it when we do um that film vertigo um oh, oh even if you're going to do the x-men we're going to do it then as well yep. um yeah no so yeah it's a real national park definitely and highly recommend it it's, it's really beautiful um i think it contains some of the oldest and tallest redwoods um in america certainly so, so we're, but we're intre- we're introduced to him building an attachment to this place we are given the idea that it's a very natural environment for him because he's swinging around it and all the rest of it. And the third thing is it introduces us to the concept of supplication. Yeah, this this really confused me because obviously if he studies, sorry to interject, but I, you know, if he was meant to be like a, an expert on, on chimps and the language and that sort of thing, how come he doesn't know that gesture? I mean, I, 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 know, I know that's, 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 no, that's being really expert, nitpicky, I know. He's an expert on the brain. Well, exactly. I was kind of thinking, oh, how, yeah, but if he, you know, if he's raised all this time, then how... I just I thought, oh, how does he not know? I'm just being really picky. Right, you're asking, how has Caesar not done this once in eight years? Yeah, but it happens, it happens. I'm just being picky, just for a laugh. <laughs> okay. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I think that that's a really important, that's a key moment in the film. I think that's, and that's um, that's a good reason that, you know, Frida Pinto's character to explain, oh, this is what this means, and, and this is how it'll go on to impact his character for the, you know, down the line. 
But yeah, I just I was like, how does he not know? But I'm just being really picky for for a laugh. Okay. Uh, another so... thing to point out in terms of like kind of important plot points here for a character arc, there we also see um, Caesar interact with uh, a dog, uh, a pet dog who is barking. And he's he's on a leash like he is, and I think that sort of starts like the the connection of like, well, hang on, am am I am I a pet or or what am yeah. I? Doing? Well, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't really start it. It 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 straight into it. Yeah. This, this isn't seeded. We're straight into. Am I a pet? Yeah. What, um, what I think. What I think. What I mean by that is that it kind of sets the motion for what happens later on, where we were at the. Um... Am I a possession? Yeah. As, as well. Yeah. yeah. When, you know. You know when he try when he when he actually tries to buy him out and sees actually won't go because he sort of he sees the leash, mm. and he's like, "What's the difference?" You know what I mean, kind of thing. But I, th- I think there's also an immaturity to Caesar at this stage yeah. of his life. Yeah, so he's he's hot tempered. We find that later, and I think there's it isn't just a, I, when he is offered a way out and doesn't take it. I I see that almost as much about fucking petulance as anything else at this stage of his life. We do see development of Caesar as a character across the three films, mm. as I recall. Although I've got to revisit the next two. Um, so we're five we're five years on again now so we're now he's he's eight uh a dog barks at him as they're leaving the um wood forest uh the 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 couple are still together and caesar through sign language is asking about his and he's like i'm your father and it's like well i can see why caesar's confused because he's just been on a lead um and he's asking about his mother and all the rest of it, and he's taken to where uh, Will works, and it's explained to him that he was his mother was given something that made her intelligent and passed it on to him. Yeah. Where from there? Uh... Oh, we're we're straight on to we're, oh we we go he goes home and he Charles is trying to eat an egg with the wrong end of the fork. Hmm. So again, really efficient. He's back to being yeah, start, in a starting state. again. Yeah, we get a bit of um, we do get a bit of um, exposition from Will that he's looking at proteins bonding to the disease or antibodies, sorry, mm-hmm. and he can see it on blood work. So basically, his body is fighting off what is effectively a virus. Albeit it's like Red Dwarf, it's a positive virus, it's making him more intelligent. Okay, so then what? We've got him picking up keys and going out, and Charles, this is, going into uh, a car. And he, it's not his car, is it? No, I mean, surprisingly, it's just left open. Yeah. Which, 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 which to be fair, you're kind of asking, asking for trouble when you're just like... <laughs> the only thing, I know, I know it suits the plot, but I would think if this man has the house to himself at times, therefore he is being left by him. Mm. I would think a neighbour would know he had he his neighbour had Alzheimer's. Yeah, though there's something there's something that strikes me about the relationship that they, they don't really speak to each other. Yeah. Um but mind you, he, he injured Caesar a few years before, you probably don't want anything to do with him. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. So basically, he gets into this car, starts trying to drive it, because I think he used to have a car like it or something. 
thinks it's his, drives it into the car in front. This aggressive neighbor comes out and starts like threatening him and jabbing his finger in his chest yeah. and Caesar's up looking through his window. Yeah. And sees it and sees him pointing pointing at his chest, which is like aggressive. Yeah. And, and Caesar is just getting more and more aggressive, more and more worked up and upset about it until he comes flying out of the house and knocks the shit out of this guy. Mm. And then Fights the thing that, that tells me he has lost it. Yeah, that's the bit. It isn't that he bit his finger off. It's that he beat he beat him a bit. The guy managed to get away, and Caesar couldn't let it go. Yeah, he he has completely lost it at this point. So he's immediate under, an, we don't even see the court order. The next thing, he's under a court order and he's being put into a, a primate shelter. Mm. Uh, for at least six months, I think it is. Um, we're told that it's if it, if he wants to appeal it, it'll be a three-month wait to get an appeal date. Yeah. So when these dates come through, I don't imagine they're tomorrow, so he's got several months to wait. Caesar's heartbroken. What did we think of all this? Because I, I just thought this, the, the the performance capture and everything with Caesar mm. here is amazing. Again, it's really upsetting. I, I, I found this quite difficult, I have to mm. say. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to sort of look away. I was like, you know, definitely during the scene, have some tissues, at, you know, at, at the ready of your room. For a little bit, oh, emotional, like I am. Um, yeah, it did, it did quite a heartbreaking um and i just i just you know after seeing you know the, the beauty of, of lord of the rings as well i just forgot you know how good andy circus was and i was just like oh my god you know incredible incredible it's, it's especially as it's it's one of those scenes where you know what's coming and yeah. you're powerless to, to stop it and you're and it's like it's horrible to watch yeah, well, unfortunately, the film is not going to end with Caesar sat at home with the family watching, like, Jeopardy or something. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. No, so, yeah, we, we all know how it's going to end. Never, but I'm not making fun there. I'm, I'm agreeing with you that, like, this has to end badly. Yeah, we, uh, we all know how it it's goes. horrible because they're actually quite a nice little family unit. And uh, you want them to live happily ever after, but sadly it's not, not And to there's be. something about this place that isn't just about the casual cruelty of one or two of the handlers and the indifference of the owner there's almost the sense that it is um dishonest in what it's presenting to its it's, it's, yeah, it's meant to be sort of like sanctuary shelter but it's, it's yeah, but far soon, from... soon, you know you, you think it's going to be this nice open play area nope and within minutes it's like it's a bit of a dungeon really yeah what do i do I'm... Yeah, I like the the little touch of like him touching the wall with like what's supposed to be like the sky and the sun. Yeah, and he's kind of banging against it, and that kind of yeah. gets that. That's like a foreshadowing, really, isn't it? Yeah. So this is where we meet Brian Cox as well, um, and he does the old trope thing of like, "Oh, well, I'm actually a nice guy," you know. Oh, well, I'm going to okay. ask a naive question now: Is he a bad guy, or is he just like not interested, completely blasé about the whole thing? No, he's he, he he's he's corrupt. He's like you know, but you know, obviously his son is a real dickhead, but he's complacent in it because he, he you know he's he's willing to take bribes and things like that. You know, at the end of the day, uh, and so. Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to argue he's a good guy, but I'm 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 not quite sure he's full on a villain either. He's just neglectful. 
of his responsibilities. He, he doesn't seem to really care about any. He doesn't even check on the primates that are there. He just leaves it to his son and has no idea what his son's doing. And his son's, you know, casually teasing and, and low grade torturing them. Yeah, I don't know. I I always got I always well, I always got the impression that he was complacent in it. He was just like, yeah, okay. So Caesar's here. Um, he's getting sort of insulted by Tom Felton's character. What's he called? Dodge or something silly like that. And then he... What does he throw some food at him or something? And then immediately gets hit with the sort of power hose, the water. Mm. And then the next thing, he gets the shit kicked out of him. The first time he goes out into the play area, Rocket, who I think is a bonobo, rips like... Uh, Caesar's uh, sweater off and basically beats him up. Um, and that's about that's a, so he, it's not going well for him. Mm. But and at the same time, this is cross cut with like James Franco trying to get him out. And he does become friends with Maurice, who's a, a an amazingly good looking sort of um, uh, recreation of an orangutan. What an amazing looking like yeah. piece of CG work this character is. And he knows it's real. It, it looks real, doesn't it? It looks real. He does. Yeah, he does. I mean, I've, I mean obviously this, this one you know, is in sort of a few years old, but I still, as I say, the the CG really does hold up. I think, um, all you know, all the all the ape and, and various species, different characters, are very well crafted. Um, and they all, you know, you can see every little subtle movement and every kind of every sort of wrinkle, every every hair, um, every scar, and it's, it's incredible. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say yeah, he does look real. I was like, ECG, really? Yeah, I mean, it's not flawless across the whole film, but it's still no, and it's I still impressive. Even in, even in the, and some of the even characters in the, are great. The other films that we'll come across, there is you know a, a little bit of a variation here and there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's amazing. And they so they. The so they bond over sign language. Yeah. And I think they he, he learns to break out of his cage because he's stolen yeah. a knot. Uh, manages to sort of break out of the cage. Steals like... Well, first off, he goes out... There's a gorilla in the, main, the sort of main play area who's never let out of his cage. And he gets Rocket to go back in there. But before he's done that, he lets the gorilla out. And basically gets the gorilla on on his side because yeah. he's let him out. Let's rocket into there. Rocket goes to like uh, smacks him over the head, and then as soon as he goes to like uh, react, he can't because immediately the gorilla is going to like Got he's not back. going to let him, and so he immediately has to show supplication to Caesar, which is what that was set up earlier. So Caesar mm. is now the alpha. And that's what yeah. that whole sequence is trying to... Hit. So he's now in a position that they will follow whatever he schemes. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, there's a more powerful version of this drug um, that Will has sort of developed to be delivered by gas. Yeah. So this, gas. Is where, this is where Cobra comes in, isn't it? They've got like another... Yeah. Yeah, Will is um, because of what's happened with his father. In that, you know, he's he's pleading the opposite from the early part of the film. He's pleading, go careful with this, and with all the years that have been wasted, sort of Jacobs wants to rush this now. 
Mm. So they choose to test it on Cobra, who's a badly scarred bonobo, who's clearly been tortured at some point in his life. Um, and that's where when he's tested... He looks really he, unhinged, doesn't he? I don't know what it is, but he just looks like... It's, it's the milky eye, mm. I think. What do you guys think? I think this is a hell of a design. So, yeah, he, he it's, it's kind of classic Hollywood coding of the kind of scarred face mm. and the kind of mean kind of... Yeah, already he looks like, like yeah, like you said, like he's been tortured, like he's been through hell already. So that, that when he's when he gets these in, increased intelligence, it's kind of you can see that he's kind of be one that's going to use it completely for non-altruistic reasons. I just think there's a tragedy to this character as well, though he's 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 never a stereotypical villain across the, any of these. He's he's effectively got PTSD, I think. Um, but they test it on him, which re- uh, delivers a gas. He sort of jerks at the last minute and sort of disable, uh, actually knocks the sort of tube off, which releases mm. gas into the room. But Robert doesn't have his mask on. Not properly. The others do. So they're all OK. But Robert has inhaled this um, particular treatment. Which has not not been test not ready to be tested on humans yet, um, and I just think again, just a little moment, but totally consistent with what's going to come, and happens perfectly naturally. Yeah. Um, what then? Um, Charles is getting worse, so Will takes uh, a capsule home to try to sort of give it to his dad. His dad turns it down, though, and just sort of stops him. Lying in bed Mm. stops him. And so he dies overnight. So now, yeah. Uh, What else? What then? Uh, So the... We must cut back to Caesar here. We must do. Yeah, so we... So, yeah, so is it... uh, Got Franklin. Franklin cuts out Scamil, doesn't he? You start... uh, well, first off, I think we spot Caesar scoping out that room. Now he's the alpha, and he yeah. spots like a window at the top. He might be able to get out of. So that's the next thing. Yeah. Um. So he will get out to um at some point, and I can't remember what order things happen in. He will break out to go to the lab to get ALZ one one three. Actually, goes to Will's house to get mm-hmm. it because Will's taking it there for his dad. It all fits together really well. And he releases the gas to basically make all the other apes effectively in, as intelligent as him, one assumes. Yeah. Um, Cause, yeah, because they're, they're planning an escape, basically, so he's getting his apes. Yeah. You know. Uh, Dodge tries to get him back in his cage, and then we get no. And he really shouts it, but then he sort of like rallies the troops, but effectively just by shouting no again and again. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of like. Did, so it, I don't know about you, but like uh, when I saw first saw that in the cinema, it, I just felt. I thought it could be just be me, but I just felt like the, the the whole cinema just was like just silence. Like everyone just felt like, oh shit, because I, I was not expecting it. It does silence the room. Yeah. It silences the it silences the room on the screen and in the screening. Yeah. Um, it really does work, and then he's sort of shouting everyone, and just before that. Caesar was clearly like holding court with them all, and mm. Brian Cox took a did a sort of double take of, at it, like 
not like the pigeon in Moonraker. But... <laughs> it, yeah. So yeah. So I, yeah. I, so I think we're all miss... intelligent now, and Dodge, Dodge is. Um... I think we missed uh, the bit where um, uh, James Franco tries to buy him out, and and Caesar refuses. Yes, he does. Because he can't, he can't get any court traction, so he just turns up with money and says, "Are you going to let me have him or not?" And so he takes the money, says, "Take your ape," opens the cage. He won't step out. He, ste- he actually closes it. Mm. He'd already sort of um, wiped the sort of drawing recreation of the window he'd done in chalk. He'd already rubbed that off in grief. Um, then he ends up killing Dodge. It's kind of almost by accident, but Dodge is sort of going at him with a little sort of taser. Um, yeah. And he basically fires the hose at him, which means he electrocutes. And, uh, yeah, he also saves the other one who wasn't as bad. He's more, more understanding. One of the workers there. Because um, they were yeah. just going to beat him to death, yeah. presumably. Yeah, and he just, he just shuts him away. Yeah, and of course that starts getting words out that this, that you know, that there's something with these apes, and so he's he can report that. At the same time, uh, Robert uh, was talking to James Franco's character and sneezed and sneezed blood. Mm-hmm. Next thing we hear, he's gone sick, and then a couple of scenes later, a neighbor finds him dead. Yeah, he shows up at his house trying to like. Up, he turned up at Will to, Will's to try and talk to him about what's going on, but Will's not in. So, first of all, Will doesn't catch it, but B, he sneezes over the neighbour. Yeah. Which just seems like a set piece to, to piss off this man, but it will pay it will pay back at the end of the film. Yeah, at the moment, it just seems, yeah, as you say, it just seems kind of like to tick off the angry chap, but you can see how it does have a knock-on effect later on. But, so but the thing is, though, like, even if you didn't have that cut scene, I think you, you, you kind of like know what's happening. Don't you? Yeah, you yeah. kind of, yeah. like, you, you, knowing where the series will, is ultimately leading, you kind of go, yeah, this, this is. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a virus. You can just see. I mean, there are little Easter eggs, like we see on the news so that the Icarus has gone missing and mm. stuff like that, but none of that's too important, really. Um, uh, then what? Uh, the apes break out and they go to. Um, the genetics lab to break out the apes that are there to be being experimented on, including Cobra, and they go to the zoo and break them out of there as well. Yeah, and start grabbing the the rails and using them as spears. Yeah, Shuffles grabbing the stuff. rails of the, to use the spears, which I really liked. The, the scene there with David Lerowell, um when he kind of steps out and it's almost like the birds when they're all kind of around the uh, mm. the, the circular. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's kind oh, yeah. of like amazing. kind of the open plan bit of the office. He walks in with with shades on, looking all cool, trying to making a phone call, and then he realizes the place has been decimated, and then he looks up to find he's surrounded. And it's totally I'd never thought of that. It's totally it's totally taking inspiration from the birds. Yeah, that's just a great moment. And then they head for the Golden Gate Bridge because Caesar's taking them to the place he associates with freedom. Mm-hmm. And I must say, I'm less interested in all of this than I was in everything that led up to it. This action sequence on the Golden Gate Bridge is well done, and there are several beats to it, but like I'm just waiting for them to get to the other side, really. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the main thing is 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 there's something you mentioned earlier about Caesar's temper, and here about 
whether or not he's ready to kill people for his I mean because we saw the thing with Dodge and that was still accidental yeah. and you kind of saw that, that Caesar was surprised that it happened as well Yeah. but then it's kind of getting to the point where how how much is he going to be pushed before? yeah I mean, and, and, because... and even then it's still a little bit questionable he's now at the point where he's happy for it to be done in his name but not yeah that's Kobodo instead with the with yeah. the, because that's quite an affecting sequence again with the, um, with the gorilla, with Buck. Yeah, do you want to t- uh, talk us through it? Um, yes. Yeah, so, so, so Buck is the big gorilla that he let out to become the alpha. Yeah, so. and then and when we see several more gorillas and they kind of they they topple a bus over and then uh, use it as a barricade, which is really smart, yeah, and then is. just push it towards all the cops. And they let them shoot the bus, and then they attack behind it. And then you've got Jacobs around in the helicopter with a sniper. Mm. And he tries to take them, and then. Um, but... Yeah, and it, at this stage, he's almost become almost become a pantomime villain. In almost, I think he stays just on the right side, but he is shouting down, "We need to get the lead ape." So he's trying to direct them towards shooting Caesar, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember this is one of the the moments in the trailer where obviously you don't see the whole thing, but you. You saw Buck jumping off, trying to protect Caesar, and then jumping off the bridge mm. to get towards the helicopter. Yeah, and it's, it's a, that's a great moment as well. Yeah, and he is shot repeatedly in midair on the way to it. Yeah, so, so it's a suicide mission. That's how much yeah. loyalty he's and got it, already. And again, even even though even though I'd seen it and I knew what what happened, I was still really surprised that he made it. And, Buck and, is and quite and, a big jump. Yeah, but the, but that he made it after being shot, and he still managed to nail the guy inside. And right. it, yeah, yeah, and it basically brings the plane, uh, the helicopter down. It's hanging, and it's like it visually, it's a little bit like when Lois Lane is hanging out of the helicopter on the top of the building in the first yeah. film. It's yeah. kind of precariously or like um, Bond. Yeah, I was thinking or for your eyes only with lock in the car. Yes. Yeah. Um, very like that visually. And Caesar walks over, they have a moment, and then Caesar just turns. And the subtlety of this is brilliant. I mean, I've sounded like I was being critical of the CG. I mean, I'm just saying compared to the sequels, it's still superb for its time. Uh, but the just the look he gives Cobra, as in, yes, go on. There's an almost imperceptible movement in his eyes, but you know yeah, what I'm saying? Absolutely, just a tiny nod. And I think what you were saying earlier about Cobra being unhinged as well comes in here, where he's just very kind of gleefully happy to be able to do this. And taking his time with it as well as he's pushing. It's not, it's not just a swift kick, it's like he just puts his like his yeah, foot on it yeah. and just and just starts slowly pushing it off. Yeah. Do, and again, doesn't, doesn't quip as much as Roger Moore, though, does he? You don't, <laughs> you don't get bottoms up or anything yeah. from him. He, he had no head for heights. He doesn't. Yeah, he, 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 he doesn't turn down a teenager for sex. Or he, he raises his eyebrow above his milky eye. Yeah. And I think that sequence as well, and some is is really interesting for for where people often talk about CG in a negative light because of the uh, the weight. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you go back, I suppose a good example would be uh, where the CG is not bad, 
but it doesn't quite have the gravitas and weight. If you go back and watch the first Spider-Man film, yeah, and yeah. you see you see the scene where he's protecting a, a very wet T-shirt Mary Jane from some attackers, and he's bouncing around all over the place. And it, it, if you freeze frame it at any point, it looks pretty good. But in movement, it's just got no sense of weight yeah. of being there. Yeah, but here the, they do. And, and you kind of, you understand how powerful these animals are. Mm. And yeah, it, it yeah. really brings their across well. So, because Cobra barely moves at all, really. No, the, the strength of these animals, it was one of the things I complained about in the first sort of run of films, that in reality, you would assume they would be far stronger than human beings because chimps are a lot stronger than us, frankly. Yeah. They could rip your arm off. Well, yeah. And there are a couple of times in this film where it is like, he's going to break my arm, and, and real fear having to interact with one of these when they do lose their temper. Yeah. And, and, once you, and they've built that into the story. When he does attack Will's neighbour, it's like, how far is this going to be because how fast it's going to go because he won't know his own strength he might kill him mm. absolutely um will is sort of there and thereabouts trying to sort of get some sense into caesar but um it, it does end up with them sort of getting to the other side of the forest some of them die um jacobs is obviously dead but they get to the forest will catches up to them and just, I think, kind of te- asks him to come home, doesn't he? Yeah, he says, he says, come home. And then he says, he hugs him and then says, Caesar is home. Yeah. And then Which, they sort of, that's it. They're kind yeah. of free for now. Yeah, so it was a really nice touch because he says it in the third person. Because he could have said, I am home. But the way right. he says Caesar is home kind of still reminds you that he's kind of this animal that's been brought up that's, that's he's, been brought he's up to be deve- super intelligent but he's, he's still that's... actually developing because one of the things that he says in one of the things we didn't cover i mean when i asked why frida pinto's character is there i did have an opinion i just didn't give it and i think it is partly that sort of moral dimension that he tells because he was so driven to get a cure for his father he hadn't even thought about the moral implications of keeping Caesar domestically and so on. Yeah. And so they're talking about it and he actually, he's actually pointing at charts in like his office in the house. And he's saying, look at this. He said, his IQ, he said, since last year, it's doubled. So between seven and eight, it doubled. Even if you made that five, even 10 years of human time, it wouldn't do that. So I think there's a sense that Caesar is still developing. Yeah. So I think that's what that tells me. Yeah, it's just a lovely little moment. Mm. And uh, it kind of ends the film on a on a kind of perfect note, really. Yeah, it really does. Although, of course, we get to we go straight to the credits and then we cut to mid credits. And the guy next door turned out to be an airline pilot. Yeah. Well, he, arriving... he does. He does. When when um, Charles tries to take his car, um, he says, how am I going to get to the airport now? Did he say the airport, did he? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I heard what I wanted to hear, because I heard him say, I've got to go to work. But you you, you both agreed, so you're right. But I just like heard yeah. what I thought he said, rather than what he actually said. And we're going to get to the airport, yeah. okay. But on, so on, on, on first trained. viewing, that would just sound like, well, could be any sort of reason. I'm pissed why I'm... off because I need my car. Yeah. 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 Whereas when you watch it, you're going, everything here is seeded. Everything. Mm. Yeah. Um, 
I wouldn't say any of it is perfect, but it is extremely well written. Yes. I'm trying to see Rick Jaffer and Amanda Silver wrote it. I don't know what their track record on writing is. Writer. Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn and War. So they wrote all three, which is great. Uh, they wrote Jurassic World. They wrote Mulan, the, the new live-action version. And they're, walking, well, they're, they're the ones that have been assigned the third Avatar film. Yeah, it looks like they produced the third film, but they, but they didn't write it because it was written by Matt Reeves and Mark Bombach, who was uncredited. I read it wrong. Who was an uncredited writer on Rise. Yeah, okay, because I think of Dawn in War as a pair because they're stylistically yeah, very yeah, different yeah. from this one. Yeah. But I will, if, if if my viewing of the next two films runs the same way as I expect them to, or they did last time, I will have issues with Dawn that I don't have with War and didn't have with this one. I think Dawn is a good film, but it has one, I, I won't spoil it, but it has one fatal flaw for me that they try to correct in the third film and um, sort of do it. But... Um, the, as as for this one, yeah, they it just ends up he's going to the airport and he's uh, he's kind of dripping blood from his nose, yeah. And then we see sort of a spider's web of flights around the world as a graphic, mm. which is basically showing this this uh, this uh, disease spreading, spreading around the world. <laughs> and they we do have the line from one of the scientists: "This does something to humans it doesn't do to apes." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is important. Because if you haven't filled in the gap, which you should have done, the, the gap is basically that when he made it stronger to deliver it as a stronger virus, we've been told it's effectively a virus because antibodies overcame it in John Lithgow's character, treating it as a virus. Mm. He's delivered a smaller one that is now uh, a stronger one that's airborne. And it basically does something to humans it doesn't do to apes. So in other words, it's just it's fatal. Yeah, but the the dimension this took on now, it's yeah. just astonishing. It's haunting, really. Just, it really is. Um, just seeing that little, the, like you said, the little kind of spiderweb, almost like a firework graphic. Of, it's of amazing, spreading. isn't it? You don't realise what it is at first. And then no, you, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's like yeah. as I say, like a, like a spiderweb, kind of like all pervading, like tentacles going everywhere. And that actually is. I mean, I know it's worldwide, whereas the, the, what I'm about to say normally applies to an area. But it is like almost a diagram of, of like the R rate. Yeah, because because it, it is, is look, yeah. it, it's just spreading off exponentially in different directions. It might have stemmed from one place, but you go somewhere, they go five different places. And that's your R rate. That's exponential growth. Mm. And so to actually see and think about it and see how easily something like that can spread. This is this is um, this is an extreme example, but in some respects, and I mean no disrespect to people who've, who've lost people through COVID. COVID has been disastrous in every possible way, but it could have been worse. In that, like, what if AIDS had been airborne? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We we got off with something that's very serious because it has this gestation period, and you can be asymptomatic, and it's definitely worse than flu. But it's got more in common with something like that than it does AIDS. Yeah, and and it could have been something like that. So it just it just shows you how fragile this this stuff is. Absolutely. 
Um, so, I see, yeah, I guess that would take me on to final thoughts. Everything in this film is so well, well written. I can nitpick a few things. I can nitpick the leading man a bit, more casting than performance, because his performance is okay. Um, I don't think he's the right person for the role. But again, he he does, like Chris said, he, he does have sort of a an empathy and warmth towards Caesar that works for the role. But it's the scientist side of it that's a bit more difficult. I certainly wouldn't have rather had Tobey Maguire, but that's just because I can't stand Tobey Maguire. But um, I can't I can't see Tobey Maguire in this either. I, there yeah. are things. It's just that whiny voice. I couldn't take a film of it. But anyway, um, there are little flaws like. They would know Bright Eyes was pregnant. I think they would. I think Jacobs does become just a little bit too cartoony at the end. You know this. He, he, he you know, he was trying to protect the company, and now he's taking ridiculous risk. Um, but oh, and the CG will get better than this, as good as it is. But on the plus side, the CG is very good in nearly every shot. As I say, we're communicating things through looks and eyes from creatures that don't exist but are modeled on creatures that do exist so it's not like the navi there's no there's no uncanny valley because what are you comparing it to in that case so it's really well written it's really well played it's really thought provoking and it does make you want sequels and i think that uh, that on a 93 million budget trying to achieve this much that's terrific having said that had they doubled the budget or really gone for it I dare say there would have been more um, ambitious set pieces that would have actually undermined what they're trying to um, communicate through character work here. So a really good start to sort of our sort of um, our final sort of trilogy on this series. Yeah, I think to be honest, I think the whole trilogy is kind of I hate the word underrated, but it 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 doesn't get talked about. At the level of kind of other films that, um, in terms in terms of its consistency of of writing, um, that uh, that I that I think it it just really has great. And I wasn't I like you said I was a bit half-hearted about see about watching this again because it was always for me it was always I guess I felt like it was maybe the the weakest episode not necessary to take anything away from that but because. Of the three, how spectacular yeah. um, the the leaps forward, especially the technology, but the but with the performance as well, performance capture, I guess, mm. um, of Caesar in, in the next films. It's it's kind of but but I take that back because it was so good, and and I was really happy watching it um, to, to to yeah just just to recognise. What a fantastic film it really is, and kind of how lucky we were to get blockbusters of this caliber, considering the uh, the rubbish we normally get. Yeah, and, and genuinely authored. This isn't this isn't the Tim Burton reimagining where he kind of really when you get down to brass tacks sort of tried to make a bit of a spin on the first film it isn't the sequels where they're there's a couple of them are very good but you can just see they're like we're running out of money let's just write something that's fairly cheap to make um it, it isn't 
it isn't any number of blockbusters that try to have emotional stakes and and really have nothing to say other than what will bring in an audience and and you know crowd please yeah, because uh, there, there's there, there's a real sense of authorship to all three of these films. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, what what I understand is there's a bit of a gestation to bring this back. Because I, I, as far as I know, the film was originally going to be called Caesar, and then it was called Rise of the Apes. And I think maybe there was a, a, an early poster that called it Rise of the Apes, and then it was changed to Rise of the Planet of the Apes to just give it. A... That, but you're right because it was Rise of the Apes. It absolutely was. When they changed it, it was like, my God, that's clunky. Yeah. Rotter Potter, as Becca likes to call it. <laughs> Based on Wittertainment, from what they called it back in the day. Because um, yeah, the, the titles get longer and longer. But, uh, yeah, I, I guess just give it more kind of name value with the, uh, with the older films. Um, yeah definitely and i mean it, it works it is a little bit clunky um it, it's not it, it's not a great title and i always think dawn might come before rise really thinking about it and of course this is almost the embryo of the planet of the apes this is this is not even a, approaching the planet of the apes at the end of the end of this film we're, we're at uh we're at uh, area of outstanding natural beauty of the apes. The, the fetus of the planet of the apes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the fetus of the seed the of genesis the, of the planet. The germ of the genesis of the planet of the apes. We're, we're at the surprisingly rural park for an urban area of the apes. Of the AONB of the apes. Yeah. <laughs> the foundations of the planet of the apes. Yeah. The sort of, uh, yeah. I mean, I suppose, I mean, if you took that graphic away, if you took that mid- if you took that mid-credit graphic away of the disease travelling, the the title would actually be ludicrous. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. What you're in a small wood with about forty of you. That's that's, <laughs> that's not no way, that's not really Planet of the Apes, is it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Beginning of the Planet of the Apes. But anyway, so yeah, that's that's Gem of the Seed of the Idea. The planet of the Apes begins. Of the Apes. Yeah, there's no room for any artwork on the poster. The title's so fucking long. The title's so big. <laughs> That's why they can it down to Rot Potter and Dot Potter and Off Potter. But anyway, the start of the, the beginning of the planet. <laughs> it's, it's interesting as well, though, that the. And again, this, this is something that I remember from the cinema being surprised at that the actual title at the beginning of the film is kind of. It's just there and it's over. It's just there and it's gone. They don't make a big thing about it like they do no, with some things. It's isn't it? It appears and then it's, it's gone seconds like, later. Yeah, it's not like oh, this giant anyway. big thing going, Rise of the Planet of the Apes! It's just there. And then you're into the film. Yeah, it's, I, just kind of, it's announced in this kind of really fleeting way. It's like, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and then like, bite, and then off you go. The most difficult thing to do when you do that is not make the film almost feel throwaway. When you go rushing straight into your plot like that, it's almost like... It can feel cynical. Yeah. It can feel like, oh, let's just fucking rush through this, 85 minutes or whatever. And, and it never feels like that. It just feels like they know what they want to tell us and they're doing it efficiently. No, it's, it's almost like Saving Private Ryan. It's that the, the, that opening moment is just so visceral that it's a great opener for the film. And and it really it really works on well from just having that title. Uh, back up, you go. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, it's everything that I said at the beginning, really. Um, I would sort of agree with the, all the all the points of the above. Um, it's it's not the perfect film, um, 
there's you know some minor flaws um but also sort of major character beats major plot beats um expedience in, in the screenwriting um and it, as, as you mentioned with Frida Pinto's character some of the you know characterizations that we kind of feel are perhaps a little bit you know what but underdeveloped are kind of are more subtle than you know than, than what they what they first appear um also Brian Cox's character as well is kind of more as you know Dave mentioned is more kind of like the indifference um rather than just the outright you know sort of abuse unfortunately um we see that more in Tom Felton's character unfortunately um very well written the CGI is you know the effects um and a lot of the in-camera effects as well really hold up um and still, you know, there's still obviously a, a long way to go with, with the motion capture, and that's been sort of perfected um, with films such as Avatar um, and also Lord of the Rings and um, Peter Jackson's King Kong that we saw. Um, and it's still, you know, still going through an evolution now, even, you know, in Hollywood uh, at this time. I, th- I think, like, for me, this is probably one, this trilogy that we're about to go into is probably one of the highlights of, of the series. Obviously, this is, you know, a really legendary series of films um had massive impacts in sort of in filmmaking cinematography um let alone sort of um makeup and, and costumes and advances in in those fields um so i kind of think i mean obviously the first film was was a legend um and i think this this new trilogy really kind of helped to kick it off but i do i do sort of agree with you charlie as well it's kind of it doesn't seem to be talked about i mean obviously it's held in very high esteem um but it doesn't seem to be talked about in the same circles as you know, other sort of great trilogies and, and no, series. I mean, it's, it's better than the Dark Knight trilogy. Well, exactly. Well, that's because... And, that, and that well, gets more of a, Whatever you think of the Dark Knight trilogy, um, it, it finishes with a wet fart of a film, whereas yeah. this doesn't. And, and, and one of the films massively overalls the other films. Exactly. But in, certainly in terms of consistency, it's, it's better. Well, I, I have to say, it might be the partly the change of uh, back costume and partly the fact that they did more on set work uh, sorry location shooting in the latter two but batman begins feels almost like a different series from the dark knight and the dark knight rises yeah and then the dark knight rises just drops away terribly totally I, know, as well. I know it's got i know it's got its defenders and i've been thinking about that trilogy a lot today because i really want to see it again soon i like it but the third part alone puts it below this yeah it, yeah, it's probably more popular just because it's Batman as well. Yeah, I love Batman. So yeah, probably. It's, it's probably something that's more... Uh, yeah, uh, same here, um, yeah. Uh, I want my talk. The property is more popular rather than Apes, mm. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But, I mean, this film did well. I mean, it, you can't argue with this sort of take, really, for a series that had no heat on it by this point. I'm just seeing what the sequels took. Okay, so that's the first sequel took that. I'll, I'll reveal this next week. I'm just looking for my own interest. Okay, so the middle, uh, without giving you the figures, the middle film was the biggest performer, uh-huh. which makes me wonder about a future for this series because they will have looked at the take to the last one and think, oh, it's starting to drop away. Mm. But anyway, okay. Um, Chris, have you done yours? Uh, no, no, not yet. But I haven't got much to say other than what I've already said. Yeah, it's it's, it's a very sort of well constructed film, um, really well written. Uh, I think I think you know I, I find the uh, I'm more engaged with the the characters rather than like the the action, which um, I I always think is is a mark of a of a good film. Um, John Lithgow's uh, actually really is really good in it. I didn't mention that before. Uh, the only other thing I'll add is that you can tell in comparison to the film we covered last week, 
<laughs> is you can tell there's actually a bit of a labour of love with this. There's like a there's a real sort of like respect for the series, and also like you tell you can tell like they were they the fans they knew the shit, and they 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 put like a, almost like a labour of love into it in comparison to uh, something with just a big budget and you know not hearts not really in it. Just just it's just like you know bash a film out there we are um this this feels like it's made by people who care definitely it's authored and and i'm sure at the very start of the process there may have been a bit a touch more cynicism in that like we want to bring the series back right okay let's we we can't do that again because that reimagining thing didn't work so let's set it present day there was probably a little bit of like almost cynical sketching out but as soon as they've got into the detail they've obviously fallen in love with the story that they're telling oh yeah 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 i mean consider considering considering the uh the 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 mid-credit thing or the um is kind of almost like an afterthought yeah it's not intending to say this is part of because I, I, I'm guessing at the time they didn't think it was necessarily going to be a trilogy no it's just kind of let's do this film that's got healthy respect for the original films and that tells an actual story um, and then let's do this thing and then do this have this little thing kind of seeded without yeah that might play off if this film does well I think so. Although, although it doesn't feel cynical to me, though, it could just be the one bit that might be studio. Oh yeah, where absolutely. They go, yeah. Where they go, just like like no, that that's leaving it without. Come on, this is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Come on, let let's seed. Let's actually just spell that out. I know we've yeah, implied yeah, yeah. there's a disease, but can we just see something that just makes it a bit clearer to audiences? Yeah. But yeah. But then a lot of audiences are clueless, and I think we fall into that category, Chris. Uh, what film are we talking about again? We're talking about Rise of the Guardians with Chris Pine. Oh yes, yes. Uh... Which is quite quite a good film. I quite yeah. enjoyed that film, you know. Yeah, I've never seen that's it. One, be that's another one that kind of bombed. Didn't but, do anything. But, did but, I've yeah, not but, seen I, it. To be I fair, I quite enjoyed that. It's, it's a good no, one. It's, 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 it's a fun season. film. Yeah. Is that Snack Snyder? No, that's the Owl one. Yeah, um, that, that that's the. Oh, which 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 one's that? Which one? Which one am I getting confused with? This is the one where, where it's like you've got Santa Claus. Uh, oh, yes, sorry. Yeah. Tooth fairy and stuff. And uh, uh, yes, Chris Pine is Jack Frost. Yes, I've yeah. seen that. Well, the animation on that film was really good. Like I remember going yeah. to see, going to see. Um, I think it was when I was I was working for Filmoria, um, going to review that. Um, I think it was it was very much like nearing completion. It was um, still very you know still very much in production, and they kind of screened a, a preview for certain press members. Um, and even though it was. It wasn't completely finished. I was like, "Wow, this looks amazing!" Yeah, I think so it was I produced was... by Del Toro. Guillermo, not yeah. obviously Benicio. Well, that's why it looks so good. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not literally by a bull. No. <laughs> <laughs> not Benicio, but. <laughs> I know. I do. I, I mind you. When I hear Del Toro, I immediately do think Guillermo, not Benicio. So yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, but that. Uh, uh, that hasn't got me any further, Chris. I don't no. feel informed. Yeah, uh, I, I could do some information as well. Yeah, but that's pity, pity, pity. We don't have any. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shit with taking information. I could kind of like done. I could do some levity to it. 
come along with so it. You, well, so what you're saying is that if the facts are kind of very dry and quite serious, uh, you probably won't absorb it. So yes. what you think is better that if people bring a sort of amount of enjoyability to it and life. Yeah. So facts that are somewhat fun. Yes. I, I think that's right. Fun right, facts, you could say. Fun facts. Why have we never thought of that? <laughs> I don't know. I All don't right. Know. Well, um, Charlie, you any good at that shit? No. Oh, oh Becca. Becca's there. Becca. Becca. Fun facts. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. Dear, dear. Um, yeah, got some fun facts. Um, nobody died, so it's all right. Um, yeah, you always announce it as fun facts and then say he died of cancer. So unfortunately, the sucker died. Oh, yes, not really a fun fact. Um, yeah, some really random fun facts this week about this film. Um, so fun fact number one: other actors nearly cast in the role of Will, as we mentioned. Um, former Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire. And not former Spider-Man, Shia LaBeouf. Um, other actors who auditioned for the role of Dodge include Superman actor Brandon Routh and not Superman actor Colin Nitz. Um, and other actors considered for the role of Jacobs were Edgis Calberg, Jamie Foxx. Brandon Routh? Brandon Brand- Ruth Routh, whatever his name is. Ruth Routh. Or Malfoy from Harry Potter. They're two completely <laughs> different. They are, Ralph, aren't Ralph they? Ralph they are two very diametrically opposed. I, I can't imagine like Superman. Yeah, he he may be like really slimmed down for the role. Um, and yeah, other actors considered for the role of Will's father um, include Christopher Walken and Robert Englund. Oh my god, that would have been terrifying. Um, fun fact number two: This is one of the first films to use motion capture on location. Um, previously, it was used or limited to like a studio setting with sort of fixed mocap cameras. Um, obviously, Andy Serkis was no stranger to this. Ape um, inspired mocap. Um, having previously performed in Peter Jackson's 2005 epic King Kong. Uh, fun fact number three, as we mentioned throughout the show, there are many references to the previous films. Um, Tom Felton's character Dodge Landon is named for Charlton Heston's astronaut crew members in the original film. Um, the orangutan is named Maurice, um, after Maurice Evans, who played Dr. Zeus in the original movie. Obviously, his mother's Bright Eyes, a name given to um, Charlton Heston's character by Zira in the original film, um, among other nods. I won't them they, they, they went with bright eyes rather than gun freak then. Yeah, rather than <laughs> gun crazy. Although when they first mentioned bright eyes, like in the original film, I kind of thought, oh, is that, you know, it, um, Watership Down was like the first place my, my brain went to. I was like, no, wrong film. Um, fun fact number four, the San Bruno Shelter, shelter is a loose term, um, is based on the Black Beauty Ranch, apparently in Texas, where the famous chimp test subject, Nim Chimsky, a pun on the name of the linguist Noam Chomsky um, is based obviously he argued that humans are wired to develop the language um, Nim was kind of was meant as a subject obviously to, to challenge this theory um, that only humans have language um, it was very controversial uh, but it was quite interesting um, and then fun fact number five unfortunately I goofed it's not um, Sequoia National Park or Indian National Forest um, they actually go to Muir Woods in the film which I did know but I forgot the name of so apologies for that um, it is Muir Woods um, so you can visit there in San Francisco and see the mighty redwoods, um, the oldest um, being 1,200 years old, um, and the to- and the largest is 79 metres. Um, actually, two very distinct but related species, coastal redwoods, um, which are actually the tallest of all living things, and they can be found um, all along the California coast, 
and the other famous one is the giant sequoia, which grow only in the Sierra Nevada mountains. But yeah, if you ever go, not that you can do much foreign travel these days if you want to, um, but if you ever go to um, San Francisco, I can highly recommend a visit to Muir Woods. So not only have you got a fun fact, you've also got a travel recommendation. There you are. Also, never jump off the Golden Gate Bridge onto a helicopter. Or onto a... Or, or, or just don't no. jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, I think it's no, quite... No, don't do that. Or you can <laughs> do... yeah, yeah, just we're, we're, we're not saying do it if it's a glider. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, you know, what you can do if you're, you know, if, if you're a painter or decorator, you can sort of start at one end, paint it international orange, turn around, do it again. You know, and it'll take you... Just as long. Cool. That's fun. Folks. Apparently. That's... <laughs> it takes a long time. Uh, I, I've, I've also just looked at something that I found actually quite interesting. Um, uh, according to Rick Jaffa, who um, who's one of the writers, um, the code name for the uh, the Alts 112 was supposed to be RT 112, which is like the running time of the original Planet of the Apes, uh, hun- uh, oh. 112 minutes. Oh but God, then it like changed it, yeah. So that is a fun fact. Chris's fun fact is something nearly happened. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, no fruit, no fruit fact this time. But no, but that, but that random no. number is actually. You the might, time. you might get, you might get further away from a fact each time. So your fun fact next week. <laughs> I, will I, be, I like to, imagine I like to... your fun fact next week will be imagine Michael Jackson was in this. <laughs> I like, I like, I like to think it. I, I like to think it was more, uh, more fun than factage. On balance, but I, I think I, I think to be fair, fun. Becca went very fact heavy today, today, and I think you've you've gone for the sort of more entertainment portion of the sort of yeah. I've done the facts. Chris brings the fun. Yeah, and I just sit here and like do fuck all really. And and Dave and Charlie can adjudicate. And we did. We both confirmed that was fun, folks. Yeah, <laughs> thank very you. Fun. As for social media, you can find me at the Pasty Kid nineteen seventy six on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at Cinematrix. You can also find all the audio episodes at Cinematrix.co.uk. Find me at Films on Wax on Twitter. And you can find us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk. And you can also find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Podbay. But wherever you like to find us, please don't forget to rate us, review us, like us, and share us across social media. Thank you. Okay. So we're into uh, a double from the guy who's going to give us a new Batman film uh, in the next 18 months or so, which means Becca. Do you expect to talk or return with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? <laughs>